Welcome to the Abide in Me podcast, where we're countering the malaise of modern culture and superficial spirituality by taking aim at the truth. We'll be looking for answers to the big life questions. What was our origin? Where can we find meaning and purpose? How do we discern between good and evil, fact and fiction? And what is our ultimate destination? You can find more content on our YouTube channel, AIM Radio, or follow us on Instagram. All links and resources are provided in the podcast notes. Enjoy this week's episode. I wanted to pay homage today to some of the amazing teachers that I found online when I was beginning to look at Christianity today. Like everyone, I have my own preconceived notion of what Christianity is about, what the church is about, what the church is, in fact. And when I was young, I was christened into the Church of England at my maternal grandmother's request and actually ended up going to Church of England schools, which aren't as religiously focused as, say, Catholic schools. But we certainly said prayers in assembly and learnt about the basics of the Christian faith and went to chapel a few times a year. And so I had an idea about Christianity and the church and what it was like to go to church and knew a few of the the classic stories and the classic characters, let's say. And as I've spoken about before, as I was beginning to have these very obvious encounters, let's say, with God during COVID, the most obvious place for me to look, well, really the only place at that time because we were during lockdown, the only place that I could go to find teachers was online. And one of the things that surprised me was the sheer diversity of the teaching that's out there, not just because there are many different denominations and schools of thought out there, but diversity in terms of the kinds of people who were teachers and preachers and pastors and vicars and all these different churches online from around the world, all these different expressions of what is essentially a love of God. And I wanted to pay homage to that today. The word homage isn't used, or homage, if you want to say it with a French accent, isn't used that much today. And it it came into my head this morning and I thought, Oh, that's interesting. I'm going to look that up to get some of the the synonyms. And so if you're paying homage, it means you're paying respect. You're recognising and commemorating something. You hold it in high esteem. You have admiration for it. You're commending it to other people. There's a sense of reverence and maybe even praise. So what a wonderful word. And of course, the opposite of it is criticism to criticise. And don't we all love to criticise today? And I include myself in that. One of the things that I have had to ask for in prayer is to 
calm my critical spirit. My critical tongue, my acerbic tongue, my desire to bite back if I'm feeling irritable or if someone says something that hurts me or I feel is unfair. And I think that's something that we all need to pray for. Because the whole of our society now is about criticism. Fostered through social media, obviously, where everyone is having their say and commenting behind the safety of their keyboard and constantly finding fault with other people. And so it's actually a lower octave, isn't it, of discernment, criticism. And I think that is maybe why so many people don't have true discernment today, because they are locked into this lower level of constant criticism. It's so easy to criticise. It just rolls off the tongue. And especially as we live in this culture of offence, everyone is terribly offended about what everyone else is doing and saying, whilst at the same time pretending that they are a loving and intolerant and compassionate person. And we can have that kind of duality within us because self-deception comes so easy to us. We can project to other people that we are very kind and compassionate and forgiving, but in the next breath, start criticising other people for what they're doing or criticising the government or criticising whoever. But do we really have discernment? And so discernment is what I'm aiming for. I would hope that discernment is what other people are aiming for. And so that means we have to curb our criticism if it only comes from a place of being offended and hurt. There are plenty of things to call out that are happening in our culture and society. But if we stay in that place of constant criticism, nothing actually changes and we don't move forward. We also need solutions. And we need to be able to talk about these things. And so the opposite of criticism is to pay homage to. And there is much criticism within the Christian world, actually, between denominations. And because I didn't really have a, a dog in the race, so to speak, when I started looking at the Christian world, I didn't feel the need to stay within my denominational lines when I was looking for teachers. I was able to look at everything with fresh eyes and see the beauty and appreciate that true sense of diversity. People use the word diversity all the time now. Diversity, equity and inclusion, D-E-I. And this idea of diversity is forced diversity. And it doesn't actually acknowledge the fact that certainly in the Western world, in these Western countries, we are extremely diverse in our cultures and the cultural expression that comes from living in a multicultural society. I mean, I was born in the 70s. I grew up in the 80s in London. I had an incredibly diverse school setting. And so 30, 40 years on, to then see how this kind of fake forced diversity is being presented to people as a solution to a problem, 
but also as a way to wag the finger at cultures that are already diverse is pretty dystopian and sinister. And so true diversity isn't forced diversity. It isn't saying, okay, we need representatives from each of these different cultures or races. I remember when Justin Trudeau brought out his his last cabinet, I think it was. He had literally chosen one person seemingly from each religion, from each race, and lined everyone up and hailed this culturally diverse cabinet. And it just seemed really forced. It was like an extension of, I don't know if you remember, again, back in the day, the United Colours of Benetton adverts, where they would have beautiful models from diverse backgrounds. And that was 30 years ago. And so this idea of quotas, which is actually even seeping into the church, the Church of England has racial quotas, which means that they must hire people as vicars and priests from diverse backgrounds, totally ignoring the fact that this should be a calling on someone's life. That it shouldn't be about, oh, we need this amount of Asian people, this amount of black people, this amount of white people. It's a calling. And so even the church in some areas has fallen for this fake kind of diversity. But when you look out into the Christian world, and as I said, I had to start online, there is true, true diversity expressed in just such beautiful ways certainly through art. And in terms of the music, you have the beauty of, say, Gregorian chants leading all the way through to country-style music and black gospel music and modern Christian rock and rap. It's just a beautiful expression of diversity. So that was one of the first surprises. Young, old, black, white, male, female, modern, historical, representations from all around the world. And don't we think that is what God wanted? Along with diversity can come conflict, and there's certainly been a lot of conflict within the Christian world. Having grown up in the 70s and 80s, I remember very well the conflict within Northern Ireland between Catholic and Protestant And even though the conflict might not be as fierce now, you, of course, do see arguments and conflicts online between denominations. And within the Christian world, there's this kind of idea that this is bad, that this disunity is bad. And certainly coming from an Eastern Orthodox or Catholic perspective, the solution seems to be that everyone needs to join the one true church, which each of those churches claim to be. Christendom was united for the first, say, thousand years, and then the first schism or split happened between the Western Church and the Eastern Church. That's why you now have Eastern Orthodoxy and Catholicism. And then out of Catholicism came the Protestant Reformation in the West, and that's where you get all these different Protestant denominations. And then following on from that, the the Pentecostal movement, and then just continuing on from that, um, churches springing up everywhere. From huge mega church style churches to house churches, 
people just coming together in their homes to worship and pray. And this is seen as a problem for a lot of people. Why can't the church be unified? Isn't that what God would want? And I see it from a very different perspective. I don't think unity, true unity, is uniformity. I've always had that sense, especially when unity is a word that is used actually today within our culture, but what it really means in our culture is uniformity. You must think in this way. That's uniformity, that's not unity. And so unity can come through diversity. I know that sounds like a World Economic Forum talking point, but how could it be any other way when we have so many diverse cultures and people out there? And so I don't think the kind of unity that, say, the Apostle Paul talks about when he is admonishing the Corinthians in his first letter to them. This is a a verse or verses that people always bring up to talk about this idea of unity and the problem that is present in Christianity today. He writes from verse 10 in the first letter to the Corinthians, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree together so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be united in mind and conviction. My brothers, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. Individuals among you are saying, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptised into the name of Paul? And you can certainly see this mirrored today. People who are so entrenched in their own denomination that instead of saying, for example, that they're a Christian, they'll say, I'm a Catholic, or I'm a Lutheran, or I'm a Baptist. And so this impulse we have to separate, I suppose, and to follow men rather than Christ, or institutions rather than Christ, has been present from the beginning. And so even though it's Paul writing this letter to this church in Corinth, he's calling out the fact that some people are saying, I follow Paul. He doesn't want to be someone that people follow in this way. He's preaching the good news about Christ. And this letter was written 2,000 or nearly 2,000 years ago. And this impulse to follow other humans rather than God, is still within us. It was the same with the Israelites in relation to Moses. They wanted a mediator because it's easier, isn't it? We can see an institution. People can go to their local church and see in front of them the priest or pastor or vicar and shake their hand and talk to them face to face. The other thing that's appealing, of course, if you're following a a human teacher or a specific denomination, is that you get to do less work. You don't really have to read the Bible for yourself. You can just go to church every week and listen to what the, the priest or pastor or vicar or teacher is saying to you on any given Sunday. And each of these churches is going to give you a different slant on the teachings. 
And so that's why it was good that I could look globally, if you like, online and learn about lots of different denominational teachings, listen to lots of different podcasts, watch lots of different videos. And so I want today to give people some of the brilliant resources that are out there and encourage people to say that this is a lifelong learning project. The Bible is a collection of books. You may read through it relatively quickly, but that isn't going to give you the deepest meaning. These are books to sit with and meditate with. And spiritual practices like meditation and prayer are there for you to use every day, not just on any given Sunday, because that's how you form a relationship with God. And that's actually what's going to help you have discernment. And so the first Bible teacher that I was led to was Derek Prince. He's no longer alive, but was instrumental in the early Pentecostal movement back in the 1940s and 50s in the UK. And I had already been through quite a number of years of looking into this idea of does God exist, does God not exist? So I'd listened to probably hundreds of hours of debates. In fact, the first doorway that opened was, funnily enough, Jordan Peterson's biblical lectures. That was the first gateway, along with a book called Celebration of Discipline by a Christian author called Richard Foster. And reading that book by a Christian author at a time when I had so many barriers up towards Christian teachings, to the extent that I actually skipped over all the Bible verses when I read it the first time. But it opened the door. And so did Jordan Peterson's lectures. They opened the door to say, actually, it's okay to read the Bible. You know, there's, there's that stigma against Christianity in the Bible, which says, oh, this is all just really silly. There's a lot of derision when it there's a lot of derision within society from other people, even though, of course, everyone claims to be spiritual these days. The one thing they don't want to read is the Bible. And so spending quite a long time, actually, again, being led to the point where I could accept that God is real and that the Bible was worth reading and then having some experiences that cemented my faith certainly during my time being trapped in Australia during the lockdown, which I'll speak more about at another time because they are important. But once I got home, I had this real desire to really study the Bible. It was a true, true desire that I had. And Derek Prince, in a way, was the perfect teacher because even at that stage, I didn't really understand the different denominations. And he isn't a typical Pentecostal minister. He is a very almost stiff upper lip British man with a, you know, kind of 1940s accent. And you would really have no idea that he's a Pentecostal minister, apart from the fact that he talks about the Holy Spirit quite a lot. And I think that's what... I understood at that time. I could understand Holy Spirit. I hadn't got to the point where I could really focus on Jesus yet. But coming out of a more modern spiritual mindset, I could understand spirit. I can understand God's spirit. And so really 
coming into Christianity in that way was perfect for me. But also, he's an excellent Bible teacher. And that's all he was doing, was standing there with the Bible and teaching the Bible. And so in a way, it was a a safe entry point. There was nothing about it that was really putting me off. He was just really saying, yes, let's read the Bible and let's learn about Jesus. And he would explain things very clearly thematically. He also used to be um, a philosopher, I think, in either Oxford or Cambridge. That's how he started out. And he also spoke Greek and Hebrew. So he could give a real depth of analysis. And also at the same time, I started to read books by C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity, of course, being the first one. Also his partial autobiography, Surprised by Joy. And in that book, he describes the moment when he was in his 20s at university, when he accepted that God was real. And his experience pretty much mirrored mine. And he talks about being a reluctant convert. Not because someone is standing next to him, bashing him over his head with a Bible, or trying to force him into Christianity. But coming from a a secular and atheistic perspective, as many people are today, and many people were back then, when he had this experience, especially in universities, The reluctance comes really from your own mind that wants to reject these things because it would be easier to reject these things. It would be much easier if God didn't exist or that God was not the God of the Bible and that you could just believe in a force, a life force, which is something that he talks about as well. So the reluctance comes from within. The feeling is, oh no, this is actually true. And so I'm going to read you the quote. It actually made me laugh when I first read it because I thought, yeah, that's exactly how I feel right at this moment. And so he has gone through this process of having debates with some Christian colleagues of his and really trying to work this thing out. He He's learned all about theosophy, which is the kind of foundation of our modern new age movement and spiritualism and all these kinds of things. And he's trying desperately to prove that God doesn't exist. And so he says, you must picture me alone in that room in Magdalene. Night after night, feeling whenever my mind lifted, even for a second from my work, the steady, unrelenting approach of him whom I so earnestly desired not to meet, that which I greatly feared had at last come upon me. In the Trinity term of 1929, I gave in and admitted that God was God and knelt and prayed. Perhaps that night, the most dejected and reluctant convert in all England a dejected and reluctant convert. Why? Because he understood that he had to give up himself. I'll read the rest of the quote in a minute. But this idea is, all your ideas, all your plans, 
all of your sense of pride melt away when you recognise that God exists. Not only that, he knows everything about you. Not only that, he's calling you to have a relationship with him, which means by definition your life will change. And that he's pursuing us, not as an angry father, trying to round up all his children and give them a good spanking. But he's pursuing us. The steady, unrelenting approach of him, whom I so earnestly desired not to meet. That's the feeling. And so the rest of the quote is this. I did not then see what is now the most shining and obvious thing. The divine humility, which will accept a convert even on such terms. The prodigal son at least walked home on his feet. But who can duly adore that love which will open the high gates to a prodigal who is brought in kicking, struggling, resentful and darting his eyes in every direction for a chance of escape? And so he's saying that even in our struggles, even when we are feeling resentful and darting around for a chance to escape, God is there saying, come in. I'm here. I exist. I love you. I want to help you. But you are going to have to turn from the life you're living now and follow me. And so he says he dropped to his knees and prayed because he recognised God's power, but also God's love, and also the fact that his life would be changed and transformed. It's not as easy as people say. If you truly understand who God is, to accept, to kneel, to pray. Because that involves saying, please forgive me. Please forgive me. Not something that people are willing to say because most people don't think they've really done anything wrong. And so there's nothing really easy about this process, but this unrelenting approach is definitely something that I felt. And also then once I accepted, that unrelenting approach became guidance, became being led to all these brilliant teachers and writers and authors and people who had come from being atheists or Buddhists or Hindus or Muslims or, you know, scientists, Satanists, the whole lot. If you go online and just search for people's testimonies of how they came back to God. And so I would encourage people to, to look at those kinds of testimonies and also read books by people who were once not Christians who were reluctant converts, who tried desperately to prove that this wasn't true. Because it's going to help you put down some of your barriers. These are some of the most intelligent, well-read people in the world. As Derek Prince said, I could have had a very comfortable career being a professor of philosophy. It was a job for life. And yet he had an experience with Christ during the Second World War where he knew that he was going to be a teacher. But like many people, he didn't at that point have the skills 
you just had a copy of the Bible. And arguably became one of the best and most effective biblical teachers over the last century. And so along with Derek Prince, there were some very good modern resources that I started to use. One of the best YouTube channels that does explanation videos of all the different books of the Bible, themes in the Bible, characters in the Bible, is a YouTube channel called The Bible Project. It has millions of followers online and their short animations from anywhere from between four minutes to seven minutes are absolutely excellent for not only getting an overview, but also, as I say, delving into some of these themes within the Bible. And these are two guys who live in Portland. Tim Mackey is uh, a biblical scholar and his business partner, John Collins, um, is obviously also a Christian, but brings the kind of technical knowledge of the animation into the project. They also have a good podcast where they talk through some of these themes and then they go on to make these shorter videos. And sometimes that's what you need to get a handle of, okay, who's the prophet Isaiah? When did he live? What was the kind of thing he was saying and why? Or what was happening at the time that Paul wrote his letter to the Corinthians? And so it gives us a great context. But actually some of their thematic videos are the best. I mean, they've got a great one on God which is only a few minutes long, which I'll link below, that simplifies the idea of the Trinity, which is one of those ideas that's very difficult to wrap your head around, certainly from our third dimensional perspective. And they just do it brilliantly. And so another podcast that I listen to this time from a, an Eastern Orthodox perspective is one called The Lord of Spirits which I think I've spoken about before, with Father Stephen DeYoung and Father Stephen Damick, both of whom came from a, a Protestant upbringing, uh, converted to Eastern Orthodoxy and became priests. Their podcasts are about three hours long. They're quite involved, but they do give a, a brilliant overview of Eastern Orthodoxy, which is something that in the West we don't really hear much about. And... Eastern theology is quite different in focus than Western theology, which would include Protestant and Catholic ideas. And so they're very good about teaching church history. They talk a lot about the church fathers. And so I was very appreciative to learn about Eastern Orthodoxy through them. And from a Catholic perspective, I've really enjoyed Bishop Barron's YouTube channel. But I think the theologian and biblical scholar that I've got the most out of recently is Dr. Gavin Ortland, who comes from a, a Baptist Protestant perspective and does a lot of back and forth with Catholic apologists or Catholic scholars and has a deep understanding of church history as well. So he's the person that I really admire the most, really also for his tone there can be a lot of, as I said, conflict and battling and trying to outdo. And, and he is just very calm and succinct. And I really appreciate that. I know YouTube is supposed to be a place of battle, a battle of ideas. But he presents everything very clearly in a very peaceful way. 
And also the great preacher, Dr. Charles Stanley, who died this year, I think. His ministry was In Touch Ministries. He comes from a Baptist background and is well revered within the Christian world. And finally, someone who I found later on during COVID at a time when I was thinking, I wonder why there aren't as many women who are teachers, Bible teachers. You get a lot of um, prophets who are women or preachers who are women, but I hadn't come across any, any Bible teachers. And then I found Elizabeth Elliot, and it must be her relatives who have put this YouTube channel together because she also is no longer with us. But what an amazing teacher. I mean, if you want to listen to someone give a talk, and this is what I mean, not preaching, which these days can be very kind of razzmatazz, but to give just an excellent talk. And she is such a faith-filled woman. She used to be a, and she used to be in Christian ministry in Central America as well. So it has a fascinating story. But again, just very calm, very matter-of-fact, very succinct, very knowledgeable. And so I'm going to put some links to some of the videos into the podcast notes. And there are many, many, many more good teachers and resources out there. But those are some of the highlights and some of the people that I wanted to pay homage to. Because there are a lot of teachers out there. There are a lot of preachers. There are a lot of prophets. There are a lot of denominations. Where do you start? Well, I think you have to start with people who truly have a relationship with God. People who have truly gone through that process of dying to themselves and their old life that have a sense of humility about them and have a real relationship with God. You can see it in those people. You can hear it in their voice. Much the same as when you read the Apostle Paul's letters in the New Testament, you can feel how much he loves God. And the same with the prophets in the Old Testament. And the same with the other apostles. You can feel their relationship with God. And so aside from all of these different denominational doctrines and things that people argue about, firstly, to focus on actually on Christ, as Paul suggests, reading the Bible for yourself, but also finding teachers who are Christ-like, as opposed to teachers that are just trying to get the biggest ministry or the biggest church or the most public recognition. And these people are often simple people, pretty quiet people. They're not really interested in the limelight. They just want to tell you about Jesus. They don't want to point to themselves. They don't want to be a mega church pastor. They don't want to be millionaires and fly around in private jets, which some of these modern mega church pastors do. They don't want to be razzmatazz and entertain you. They want to teach you about Christ. And all of these teachers, if you're worried about which denomination or which church to join, The central and core teachings of Christianity are affirmed 
by all of these denominations. They will go back and forth on certain doctrines. The importance of Mary and the saints or venerating and praying to the saints, how Jesus' death actually affects us and helps us, what a Christian life looks like, what kind of rituals you need to do or don't do. They will talk about this and argue over these things, but the core doctrines are the same. And so they are unified in their core. And I don't think that there's going to be a theology exam once we die. In other words, if you don't have the exactly correct doctrine or theology about a certain topic, that's not what you're going to be judged on. There's not going to be an exam. This is the kind of feeling that you get from people, especially in the the kind of apologetic world. In other words, where they are defending their particular denominational doctrines. What we're going to be judged on when we stand in front of the judgment seat of Christ, as Paul says, is our character, not our theology. You know, as Jesus says, if you have the faith of these little children, you will enter the kingdom of heaven. There are plenty of people around the world who have a deep connection with God through Christ and the Holy Spirit who don't have PhDs in biblical studies or theology. God is concerned with transforming our inner being, our character. And of course, different denominations will tell you that happens in different ways. But the first stage is faith. It's belief. For without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Whether you're singing Gregorian chants or gospel music, whether you are saying particular prayers or just falling down on your knees like C.S. Lewis and accepting that God is God, whether you go to a Pentecostal church or a Catholic church or an Eastern Orthodox church or any of the Protestant denominations, if you have faith in God, that's what he can work with. And if you feel that sense of humility and love, that's what he can work with. And that's what I learned through that lockdown period where I could not go to church even if I wanted to. It was just me, my Bible, these teachers that I found online, and prayer. And if you look at my Instagram page or the Instagram page for this channel and podcast, you can see where I live. I live in a beautiful rural place and have done for nearly 10 years now. And so I know how important peace and space and time is in terms of having a relationship with God, certainly in terms of hearing what he has to say. You can read all the books in the world, all the church fathers, all the philosophers, all the apologists. You can have all the information you want. That doesn't mean you're going to be close to God. And so we're told to love God with our mind. And we can certainly do that and avail ourselves of all of these teachers and teachings. But at some point, we've got to break through to the other side. And that happens when we let go of our pride. That happens when we feel God's love for us 
and in turn have love for God. Those are the teachers to seek out. The teachers that aren't going to sugarcoat things, that aren't going to compromise with the truth because it's uncomfortable. The teachers who are really going to teach you who Jesus is, what he taught, what he expects to pick up our cross, but at the same time lay down our heavy burdens at his feet so he can help us and transform us with his word and his presence. And I hope we can all give each other a bit more grace and focus on perhaps what we appreciate about each other, not just in our personal lives, but certainly when we were getting into these camps, whether it's in a, a religious sense or a cultural sense or a, any kind of these identifiers that people hold on to these days. Essentially, we are one human race and we can accept that diversity without fear and without finger pointing and criticism. And we can actually be unified in that diversity. We don't all have to be the same. Christ calls us to die to ourselves so we can become the individuals that he wants us to be. He doesn't want cookie-cutter uniformity out there. God is the God of all, and he wants to conform all of us to the image of Christ. And maybe that is the true expression of unity through diversity. Okay, thanks for listening, everyone. I'll speak to you again soon. Bye for now. Please speak to me. These are the things I'm worried about. These are the things I need help with. Asking, being humble enough to ask, being humble enough to wait patiently when you don't immediately hear or you don't hear the thing you want to hear. And all of this takes time. So getting yourself a journal or a notebook is a good idea. Initially, I mean, I had to do this alone I didn't have any other people that I could really talk to about this. If you do have someone who can be a good spiritual director or mentor, then by all means, reach out to people. But often God wants us to do it alone so that he knows that we can discern for ourselves, that we don't have to keep asking other people for advice. And having the Bible as our foundation as we're reading through these books we will get a very good idea of the pattern of not only the prophets, but the pattern and the way that Jesus is teaching us to follow. And if he said to his disciples that the Holy Spirit would come and live in them, he's saying that to us too. The Holy Spirit is here forever, as he said. So learn to hear what he's saying. It's very often not loud. It's very often quiet and succinct, surprising, but obviously true. And so I hope that helps. Maybe go and read John's Gospel, or certainly chapters 14, 15, 16 and 17. And just note down how you're feeling while you're reading the words. Note down any questions that you have. Note down any things that make you feel uncomfortable or things that you don't agree with. These are things to bring to God in prayer and just start to notice how abiding in his word 
begins to transform you. And so as always, I'll put all the links and references in the podcast notes and I'll speak to you again very soon.